Welcome to Talking Heads on USA Global TV, starring the one and only wonderful Dr. Jacqueline. It's a prestigious place where world-class influencers and experts meet, and where you'll find the most trusted advisors and coaches for all things in life and business. Visit usaglobaltv.com to sign up for our newsletter, get the value you need, and be first in line to learn about events and giveaways and other valuable content. Connect with us. Email Dr. Jacqueline at usaglobaltv.com to talk about how you can become part of USA Global TV. That's USA Global TV, where the doctor is always in. Hello, hello, and welcome. Hopefully it's welcome back to USA Global TV and radio. We are thrilled to have you here. I'm Dr. Jacqueline Kerbeck. I'm the president, founder, and chief listening officer here at our network. If you're not aware, we have right now 29 live broadcasts each and every week. Our show today is The Art in Creating Mental Health Wealth. And joining me all the way from Africa is my friend and co-host. She's a talking head. She's also an elevated listener and one of our panelists on A Woman's Prerogative. She's all in. It's Janetta Barry and The Epiphany Process. Welcome. Hello, everybody, to our viewers and our listeners. Great to be back again. And we've got a really lovely lineup today on USA Global TV. So uh, we're, we're busy ladies. It's my busy day with you. <laughs> I know four shows today, Janetta, right? I know. And it's four out of nine, if I remember correctly. That is correct. We have nine <laughs> shows today. So I'm, so I'm, jogging so I'm place doing the cabaret. <laughs> <laughs> we have to keep our energy levels up, but uh, you've been doing great work off the platform as well. And I know you have a big event that's coming up and our guest is backstage. So I look forward to bringing her out. But for people joining us for the first time, tell us a little bit about your event that's coming up and what's the backstory behind it. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Jacqueline. Well, uh, the event in, in a couple of weeks' time is attached to a charity known as World Jenny's Day. And World Jenny's Day is under the arm of my process known as the Epiphany Process. And the backstory, in a nutshell, is I lost my 16-year-old daughter, Jenny, to suicide after she and I had an argument. And uh, having gone through the deep, dark night of the soul uh, oh, for a long time after she died, uh, I eventually decided I'd find ways and means, study research to live a life that wasn't like living a life of hell on earth, because that's really what it felt like. And the epiphany process, which uh, I created and, and fine-honed and expanded, got me through and has got many people through all over the world uh, from, from day-to-day challenges, people dealing with day-to-day challenges with their relationships, right through to people in trauma. I even assisted terrorist attack victims in Kenya at the Westgate uh, Mall terrorist attack. It, it's been a phenomenal journey but World Jenny's Day was born after we realized that Jenny had died on World Mental Health Day on the 10th of October. So every 10th of October, we have World Jenny's Day. And we use theater and the arts to soften and normalize conversations around 
feeling compromised, feeling depressed, feeling suicidal, and even those solutions get softened using theatre and the arts. And uh, it's going to be just the same this 10th of October. But before that, we've got a fundraiser here in Kenya. Um, and we're starting at the base of Mount Kilimanjaro. And some of us, not me, note, are going to be cycling and others are going to be partially cycling. In fact, we've got a paraplegic man from Spain coming through and he's doing part of the, the cycle. Others are doing uh, 20 kilometers a day instead of 100 and, uh, and then others are doing the full cycle. I'm sitting in a car following everybody and um, yeah, so we're cycling through Savo West and into Savo East and through to the north coast of Mombasa to Butamu. And that will be six days and nights in different lodges and camps. And it's just the most precious, um, precious way to, to experience wildlife in Kenya. We've got a, a, a very, very experienced guide and backup vehicles and everything. And it's been done before. So we're not inventing the wheel for you. Um, it's been done safely before and people can't stop raving about it once they've done it. So if you'd like to know more, go to worldjenniesdave.com and you'll hear all about it on there from people's testimonials to even the itinerary go go and have a look there so that's what's happening in two weeks from now um super exciting yeah. and we're going to have some coverage from you live right we, we're we're looking to yes uh, in fact um chris Froome, you know the british cyclist um tour de france he actually went to school with my son neil who's going to be on my next program in fact he and neil used to cycle together a lot they were big chummies and chris Froome's nephew is going to be doing some of that coverage uh, and we'll see what we can do it'll be amazing if we can do that very exciting so yeah there we go <laughs> wonderful you know and Jeanetta, we've yeah yeah, I was going to say for for any event, any experience in life, we all love a great story. And some people are exceptional in delivering great stories. And we remember the master storytellers. And we have one with us today. Tell us about Mara the Storyteller. Oh, my gosh, Mara. Mara Menzies, I came across, uh, this is a real Africa day, actually because Mara is also from Kenya and I came across her in Clubhouse again, amazing network place. And uh, I was very impressed with the way Mara presented herself. She calls herself Mara the Storyteller. And right now she is performing off West End in the Lyceum Theatre. In fact, Dr. Jacqueline, my mother's performed in the Lyceum Theatre. So when I saw that, I was going, oh, this is amazing that we've got Mara today. And it's just such a special connection. And she's performing there right now from the 11th to the 28th of August. 
Um, her presentation is called Blood and Gold, and it's about a dying mother who gives her daughter a box containing three clues to a priceless treasure, and then setting it, it that sets into motion a journey filled with humor and tragedy. And she is amazing in the way she tells her stories. So to give you a little bit of background on Mara, Mara is actually an award-winning performance storyteller and she's dynamic and has a colorful style which brings this ancient art form to life. I mean the ancients and the elders in tribes are amazing at doing this and she's taking this forward and making sure it doesn't die. She's been invited to share stories in 27 countries with her latest production Blood and Gold and um, it, it explores the legacy of colonialism and slavery through myth, legend, and fantasy. And it premiered at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in 2019, just before COVID, poor girl. And then, but she got it in before COVID. And as part of the Made in Scotland showcase, because Mara is partially Kenyan and partially Scottish, she was nominated for the Cats Award 2020 and was one of five shows nom nominated for the Philippa Braganka, I hope I pronounced that correctly, award for the best emerging solo female performer at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival 2019. And she received rave reviews from top theatre critics. So I'm, I'm going to leave it at that because the rest can be left to the person who can tell that story so very ably. So I would like to introduce you to Mara Menzies. Mara, welcome today. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm here in, in Edinburgh. <laughs> I am in awe of all that you've accomplished and all based around the foundation, the core of being a great storyteller, which is something that is so important to all of us. So tell us, when did you realize you had this gift? Are you able to hear us? So I have been telling stories for as long as I can remember. And I grew up in Kenya and we lived in, we, yeah. Can, can you hear me okay? Yeah. Yeah. So I grew up in Kenya in quite a rural part. And so we did not have television. Uh, we would go to the local hotel on a Wednesday evening for one hour. So the rest of the time, we just grew up with people coming over to the house. My mother would tell stories. My grandmother would tell stories. There were just always stories being told around. Um, and so this was a very normal part of growing up. And then at the age of 13, then moved to Scotland, where my father comes from. Um, and Edinburgh is uh, its arguably the literary capital of the world. So lots of storytellers here. And both of my, my dual heritage culture, you know, Kenyan culture, Scottish culture, is very rich oral tradition. Um, and so it was when I was older um, and I wanted, uh, it was when I was expecting my first child, actually. And I wanted this child to really identify with her African heritage. And so the best way for me to do that was through stories. And so I wrote a book uh, because I knew all of these Kenyan stories because I grew up with them. And then I published this book, self-published self and printed a thousand copies. And then I wanted to sell this book. So when my friends and family had bought them, I still had 
you know, 900 and something copies of this book. So I would just invite people to come and hear the story, higher halls, community centers, and um, but I would never read from the book. I would always just tell the story. And it was in that process that, you know, I saw, oh, the, the kids, because obviously it was a children's book, the kids like it when I do this or when I say this. And then somebody came to one of the storytelling sessions and said, oh, you know, you should visit the storytelling center. And I discovered this magical place in the center of Edinburgh. Um, and it's, it's a place, a space that is designed for the human voice. So it's a storytelling center. And I was able to then just witness so many different kinds of storytellers. So, you know, the, you know, the performance storytellers, much like me, where we're very physical and theatrical in our delivery. And then others who were just sort of sit there, very quiet, very small, and yet you were gripped to every single word that they said. So you just saw this huge range of diversity and the different kinds of, of storytelling. And, and it was then that I just thought, oh my goodness, storytelling is a thing. And that was when I really started on the journey of becoming a storyteller. So starting off with the kinds of stories, you know, how the zebra got its stripes and how the lion got his mane and the giraffe has a long neck, those sorts of stories to the kind of stories that Janetta was, um, was describing earlier, where you can really use stories to explore very difficult, very taboo subjects. Um, but it's the magic of that is that you're able to then sort of step back and, um, and look inwards or, or downwards onto a particular issue without you necessarily being in it um, and having that sort of pressure around you and feeling like you're the center of everything. You have to make a decision. When it's just a story, uh, there's an innocence about it and, um, and a separation from it. So you can actually see things from a very, very different perspective. And, and I think that's how human beings have always been been telling their stories. That's part of who we are. We have stories in us that are, you know, thousands of years old. So there's definitely a magic, a magic to that story. Brilliant. Thank you so much. And I love how you shared you purchased a thousand copies of the book and then you, you had 900 and some left, which is always the case, right? We're first publishing. And yet you took that as an opportunity. You turned it around to a win. Sorry, sorry, that, that's my dog. <laughs> he agrees. The dog's agreeing. Exactly. That's right. The dog has a right to speak. <laughs> and I've got Andy going, shh. His, by the way, Mara, his name is Moto, which uh, Dr. Jacqueline in Swahili means hot or fire, but for him it's hot because he's a sausage dog. So he's a hot dog. <laughs> Very low to the ground, right? <laughs> anyway um yes so now we've been finished being so rudely interrupted um mara that transition from telling telling the stories hearing the the stories being told and then finding out that your story was interesting and getting your thousand copies and 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 being at the at the storytelling center and hearing everybody else's story how did you take or make the jump from being the person in the street to the one that now is going to professionally present and get to Edinburgh Fringe and now to the Lyceum Theatre, how did you make that transition? Because it must have been quite quite a, a thing to do. What did you do and how did you go about it? Um, 
Oh, it's it was an interesting journey because I guess for a lot of people, nobody really knows what a storyteller is or or what a storyteller does. Because I'm certainly not an actress, and I think if you are an actress or a a theatre maker, then the journey is much smoother because there is a process, there's a there is a way of doing things. But when you are a storyteller, a we don't memorize our stories at all. Um, and 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 actually, the difference for me is that the you know when you're a storyteller, the audience is the absolutely the most important part of that sh- of that relationship of that shared experience whereas when you are creating a show and then performing it then the story is is the most important part of that experience and it doesn't matter um you know so much about the audience because the audience are simply uh looking into something that you have created whereas with storytelling it's very much a relationship between you and and the and the audience but so that so that journey was about also trying to um challenge the misconception that people have of storytelling which is oh it's something that old people do to entertain little children so you have to sort of challenge that as well so and i think it's it's basically been word of mouth i think when you ex- when you express storytelling in a very different way um and i and i did that deliberately in the in the clothes that i wear in my presentations very dynamic i engage i try to remove myself from that the sort of the old fashioned idea of what storytelling is um and also i'm i'm very you know i try my hardest to make it i craft it as much as possible so taking into account that i don't know who the audience is going to be um the audience could come from so many different diverse social uh backgrounds uh i don't know how they're going to relate to the story how they're going to engage with the story so when i am crafting a story um even though i'm not memorizing it i know that the story has to speak to as many people as possible because we're really about planting seeds you know we're all at a different um points on our journey and in order to get as many people into that story into that space then you need to be throwing out an awful lot of different ideas in the hope that one will land and the hope that one will stick and the hope that one will grab the attention of somebody in the audience so that they feel that you are speaking absolutely to them so even here with the um, with the lyceum when you're going into a more professional performance space uh the technicians are sometimes thrown because you know normally there's a the qlab software you're pressing buttons and that operates the, the light and the sound cues um and you're following the script so at this word you press the button the next word you press the button but with storytelling um there the script can actually throw a lot of people because you often move of script so you have a vague script um but the technician really needs to know the story and a lot of it is visual so when the mother dies that's when the lights go down because i might not remember what the words are necessarily i'm not going to be using the exact same words um and so the technicians i've had to bring a technician with me sometimes if i am using sound cues and lighting cues um because just to go somewhere and expect a new technician to take on the story is not really workable um but yeah it's i think when people really see the response of the audience um because they because the audience is so invested in the story they really feel that they are part of it um and and sometimes that is missing in a lot of um more traditional sort of theatrical spaces because you're going in you're watching your show you clap politely at the end and then you disappear but where you are involved in the telling of the story i'm asking you a question and i expect a response from you or i ask you to do something and i expect you to do that and and i think as an audience member somehow inside us that storytelling thing still exists so you 
you do find yourself just being drawn into the telling of the story so that you play an active role in it. You're not just a passive, um, a passive audience member. So I think that that transition has taken a long time to come along, um, but also because you have to push yourself out there. You go to the festivals and, and I try to maneuver myself into spaces that perhaps storytellers don't really find themselves normally. So working with like the, the NHS, for example, or working with, um, I suppose what people might consider more uh, less artistic organizations and more uh, proper <laughs> organizations where they can see actually the role of storytelling in terms of um, of uniting people to achieve a common goal or working with NGOs because they use storytelling to challenge um, traditions or you know, negative traditions or harmful traditions uh, using storytelling in different ways. Uh, people can really see the benefits of it. And so I think that whole transition there are a few storytellers who are now sort of breaking into that mold, into that more professional space. And, and I think that's a really good thing because I think the more the idea of storytelling is widened and it becomes more mainstream, then I think we go back to something that is such a fundamental part of who we are as humans. And, uh, and that can only be beneficial because that's how we communicate. That's amazing. So what I'm hearing is that you've been pioneering this, really. And what I'm also hearing, and, 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 and tell me if I've got it right, that when you get on that stage as a pioneer, you have to use a lot of intuition as to what your audiences, I always say when I when I uh, present in front of an audience, each audience has its own a uh, complete character uh, and then the next night the the audience character is very very different it's like a, a group consciousness in that theater and it sounds to me as though you you shift the way you tell the story depending on what your audience is or isn't is that correct Absolutely. I think, you know, because the audience is the most important thing, you have to, you get a sense of them. And, and I guess with experience, you get a sense of them quite quickly. So what is the energy in the room? And, um, you know, if the energy is already quite high, then you take it and you run with it. And, you know, and the audience will, will let you know very quickly whether how much they want to be engaged. If the, if the energy is quite low and you go in and you're expecting everybody to come on, get up and let's dance everyone, then chances are it's not going to work as well. And you might need to you know work on them a little bit slowly just introduce more gentle ways of interaction um, and then get them to the point where you can they'll do anything that you want I suppose um, whereas sometimes you go in and they're just ready for you automatically anyway um, sometimes what it, it can be quite interesting when you've got different ages in the audience um, because you need to tell the story in a way that's going to appeal to a five-year-old as well as a 20-year-old as well as a, a 50-year-old you know different um, kinds of uh, the different social backgrounds, different class backgrounds, all of these things. And you have to make sure that everybody feels um, that they are part of the story. So it is quite instinctive and, and you have to be quite careful in terms of, of how you are, how you're telling the story, because if you, the types of language that you use, you know, sometimes you'll find yourself um, in an audience where maybe not everybody has English as the first language, for example, and therefore you have to um, use language that you imagine that most people would be quite familiar with to so simplify it. So the story is is um, is understandable for everybody. Uh, or sometimes you might find yourself, you know, I've worked with different universities or like in the 
a certain academic academic um, group of people and I will make sure that I am using words that I will study the words even if I'm not particularly familiar with that particular group but I will find words that I know are very relatable to them. Um, there's um, a newspaper that we that we read that here in the in the UK is the Daily Mail, and the Daily Mail it's it's one of the tabloids, so it's uh, you know it likes to be quite controversial. Um, not everybody is on the same page, and I read the Daily Mail, but I would say that I am not a Daily Mail reader. But for me, it's important to have an understanding of how other people are thinking and what kind of information they are consuming, and how that can influence the way that I tell the story. Because if I am keeping people away or shutting out different forms of thinking, then I'm not going to be able to reach them when I'm telling a story. And when I'm crafting a story, particular one like Blood and Gold, which is uh, it's looking at really difficult topics. It's looking at the, you know, the legacy of colonialism. Slavery is not something that people um, are comfortable discussing. And so if you're trying to find a different way to approach that and open up discussion and debate, then you need to be able to speak everybody's language. And sometimes that means, um, you know, entering into different spaces, different worlds where you can absorb the energy of that particular audience and then be able to deliver it. So I'll, I've got a lovely example of that is uh, when I went to Nigeria for a festival I'm not Nigerian, um, I, I, but I was telling a Nigerian story, and I know that they have got uh, they have the jollof wars, and the jollof wars are basically jollof rice is it's a West African um, rice dish that many of you might be familiar with, but uh, the Ghanaians think that their jollof rice is better, the Nigerians think that theirs is the best, Gambia thinks that theirs is the best, Senegal says our jollof rice is the best, so I used that in the story, and you know I created this this woman was preparing a meal, the finest jollof rice, but none of that Ghanaian nonsense because I know the conflict between Nigeria and Ghana and of course they loved it that and they were going a little bit crazy so it's trying to find the different things that you think are going to engage the audience so there is you know research that happens beforehand to make sure that when you enter into a space you have your you have your weapons and you have your you know you have your skills and everything is is ripe and ready and then when you meet them boom you hit them with a whole load of different things and that is when the magic happens Wow, huge respect. <laughs> what an art. It is definitely an art. I, I have a question for you as uh, something I was told when I was in my corporate career. I always like to tell a story and I, I worked with people who are younger than I am, uh, a different generation. And I was given some feedback by people who were in positions above me that it's not always best to tell a long story. I was told, you know, when I was getting my education, use big words, give the details, draw people in. And I was told by these other people, just get to the point, make the story shorter and more relevant to my generation. So it's difficult when you, you don't know who your audience is, you have different cultures, different generations. What approach do you take? It's a good question. <laughs> it's, uh, every approach is going to be different for me. I find that. I think um, when I've got something like Blood and Gold, this is a it's an hour long show. Um, but I also agree that sometimes it can be really difficult to hold people's attention for that whole hour. So even when I was crafting it, I decided that I would break it up into chunks um, because then that way also I knew that each the individual stories. So just to give you some context in the show, there's um, um as Janetta said, the mother. Put, she puts stories into this box so that the daughter will be able to access these stories once she has gone. Um, and so as the stories fly out of the box, they are 
kind of small, um, like shorter, like 10, 15 minute stories, as opposed to an hour, a whole hour long story, which means then people can focus and get a complete story and then they can breathe and exhale and then they kind of go to the next story because I figured that if I was then able if I tour the show then people will respond to the stories in different ways because each particular story that flies out of this box even though the whole thing is part of this bigger story they are easier to digest they're kind of small sort of bite-sized um, stories that then feed into something else and I feel that you know in my in my storytelling experience there are some phenomenal storytelling there's one woman who comes from the Jewish tradition, Shona Lee Cumbers is her name, and she has a, she's a drugsler, which is, a, I think, a very rare form of storyteller. I think she might be the last one, actually, in her tradition, but she has these cycles of stories where there's stories within stories within stories, and the audience then chooses whether they actually want to listen to the next story. So, you know, they might you might be moving through a forest and you meet a man with half a face, um, but that's a story for another time. But if the audience wants to hear that story of the man with half a face and they request that story and then this you know she would then tell the story of the man with half a face and within that story there might be another one where they you know they move to a waterfall and behind the waterfall there was a door but that's a story for another time unless the audience wants to hear it and then you have to work your way back so I think a lot of these epics you know the the medieval stories the you know these, these huge stories they're actually just stories within stories within stories even actually our own stories we might say you know um, Mara the story of Mara's life actually doesn't start with the birth of Mara it starts with my mother's story and my father's story and the stories of the people who were on before them and Mara's story does not end when I pass on you know the Mara's story continues with um, with my children you know or um, whatever happens after that so um, so there is a whole load of, of different ways that we can approach storytelling and but I, I feel it is important to just kind of find ways that you think an audience is going to be able to to chew up your stories and you know in, enjoy them in different ways and and some stories are far more effective when they are very small very very short stories um, I find it quite I find it easier to watch a film for example and consume stories in that dedicated space I give myself two hours I enjoy the story and then I go I'm actually very bad with watching television series where you have to clock in in order to get the next bit and the next episode and the next bit I find it quite hard to do that so I'm, my consumption of those kinds of stories is certainly films as opposed to television because I just don't have the time or the headspace to uh, to continuously uh, engage with a very very long story um, and I think my approach is the same probably as finding the bite-sized ones but I also make those bite-sized ones um, I fuse them in so that they do become part and parcel of, of something bigger great answer thank you so much I found myself being drawn in I want to hear the story about the man with half a face <laughs> <laughs> but that's for another I'm time I guess <laughs> <laughs> what, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is um how much have you toured this in Kenya and uh, where is it different in doing it in Kenya as against, say, the Lyceum or, or, or in Edinburgh? What, what's been happening on the Kenya side? So just to, I kind of cut for a second there. So is it just have I toured it in, in Kenya? Was that the question? 
Yes, that was the question. Have you have you toured this particular show in Kenya? Yeah. Okay. okay. Yes, um, I've taken. I've done. I've done snippets of the show in Kenya. Um, performed it in Nairobi, but I think after this Edinburgh Fringe, I will be back. I will be back in Kenya in September, and I will be um, taking the show. I'll be performing it at the coast uh, in Kilifi and in Mombasa, and I will also be performing it in Nairobi. Um, and even there, I think even though I've created very much with Scotland in mind and and Scotland's role in in colonialism and slavery and and some of the stories and experiences that I've had here, I will tweak it and turn it into something that is um it's a it's a different audience and so therefore i have to kind of be cognizant of that um but yes i will be performing it there but i think the lovely thing about myth and legend is that uh, even though you're lo i'm looking at very um issues that are that affect us as human beings today there's still an, an otherworldliness about them because ultimately the themes are the same. You know, we're looking at greed, we're looking at power, we're looking at, um, you know, structures of authority, we're looking at, at all of those sorts of things. Um, and so it doesn't actually matter uh, when where, or where the story is told. It's, it's more about the little details. You know, if I talk about the cobblestones and the tiny little closes, that's very specific to Edinburgh because that is the architecture of this city. So perhaps when I go to Kenya, then I, I kind of remove them in some way and I replace it with something that, that people will identify or, or relate to more. Um, and then that's the magic of it. But I also know that because it is um, about colonialism and slavery, I mean, Kenya is a colonized country and there is a certain way of being with that a lot of the laws of Kenya are still um, laws that were created uh, during the colonial period and a lot of those laws are not uh, particularly useful or, or beneficial to the actual indigenous people of Kenya so and these might be the land laws or wildlife laws you know people traditionally have always existed alongside um, the wildlife and yet the conservation laws uh, separate people from the wildlife and the you know the people were traditionally the guardians of um, of these places and so to separate them kind of um is is there, there needs to be some thinking rethinking about how that works because currently it's not working in people's favor there's a lot of talk about um human wildlife conflict for example and that's just one example of how um kenya as a as a colonized country has been impacted by whatever took place you know uh, in the last in the last few decades in the last few centuries so yeah we'll be taking it to kenya touring it but i also find that whenever i go to different places you know people are people and audiences are audiences and everybody loves a good story um i've taken stories to to singapore and i remember once it was um, a school that that came in to to see a story and they're very very formal and a, a certain way of behaving and so when, when it was for it was for children and so when they came in the teacher asked them to sit on their hands I thought, oh, sit on their hands I don't want an audience who's sitting on their hands because how are they going to be able to engage with me so as soon as the teacher had sat down and the show opened then we immediately got rid of the sitting on the hands because I need the audience to engage with me I want them to be pulling clouds down from the sky and you know waving their arms up as trees or doing whatever it is that I need them to do so um, culturally people will approach things in a more formal way um, other times you know sometimes you might find people are talking and and for some storytellers that can be quite distracting because you know the attention needs to be on the storyteller but actually sometimes you find what's happening is that traditionally as the story is being told while people are listening to it at the same time they're saying, did you did you hear what she said in that story or oh I wouldn't have told it like that I would have told it slightly differently so actually even though there might be a chattering taking place it's not a chattering that signifies that people are bored it actually can be a 
chattering that signifies they're completely engrossed in the story and they're they're moving alongside it as well. So yeah, culturally, uh, the storytelling changes. Um, but the beauty about being a storyteller is that you have to be really quite flexible and adaptable to that and take each situation as it comes. And um, and that's the magic. That is absolutely where the magic is, is that people then are part of this. Uh, it's a very individual experience because you are listening and sharing in a story, but at the same time, it's part of this shared experience as well. So in 10 years, you know, you might be talking about, oh, do you remember that story when the storyteller told this? And, and your friends say, no, that's, that's not at all the story that they told. So even despite being in the same room and experiencing the same thing, actually the interpretation of that might be something completely different. So um, yeah, and I, I find that wherever I go in the world. So it's it's quite exciting. And I'm, I'm looking forward to going back to Kenya and also telling some Kenyan stories because a lot of Kenyan stories are, are not being told. And here in Scotland, we've got the advantage of having quite a strong literary culture. In Kenya, in fact, pretty much across the entire African continent, the literary tradition is not as strong as it should be or as it could be. Things are changing, but we're not quite there yet. Wow, I look forward to seeing it when it, it comes through. Uh, it, it'll be really interesting. And in fact, I wanted to chat to you some more about those Kenyan laws and, and what World Jenny's Day is doing and, and perhaps doing a storytelling around that too. Because as you know, Mara, and I don't know if you know Dr. Jacqueline, that one of the laws that's come through from the British side is that it's a, a crime to, to try and commit suicide. And you can be imprisoned if you don't succeed and you survive. Um, and it used to be a law in, in the UK as well. And then they said that's archaic and scrubbed it off as an English or UK British law, but it's still sitting in Kenya as a law and it puts a lot of pressure on people. So th that storytelling there would be amazing. I think the storytelling in Kenya also, just as you're saying, you know, like storytelling is such, it can have such a profound impact on people's mental health because people are struggling with things on a daily basis and people don't even realize how much they are impacted by what is taking place around them. So if you're, whether it's issues of identity or belonging or rootlessness, and I think sometimes that is also the, that is the problem. If people don't, if people feel that they are alone, if people feel that they're not part of something bigger, they don't know where to go, they don't know where to turn then you know stories can actually help provide tools for like actually you know this is an experience that is felt by so many other people um and in kenya you know people just even speaking to speaking to somebody else is not considered okay when it comes to when it comes to particularly the men men are not allowed to cry they're not allowed to show their emotion i spoke to somebody who said that people go to church on a sunday and, and that's the, the only time in their lives that they're actually able to openly express themselves so you might see a man crying in church it might not be anything to do with religion or being touched by some spiritual entity but mainly because that's the one time that they're able to express themselves and storytelling can really help in that process of actually finding a, a space where you can you can be but um but yeah i would really be interested in speaking more about that with you as well janetta about you know world mental health day um about how storytelling can impact people's mental health in a, in a different way and hopefully in a in a more positive way and also just being able to tell our own stories you know 
if we harbor everything inside us and we're never able to express or share, it's problematic. And I think providing platforms to enable people to do that is, uh, is a hugely important thing. It's Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Make it happen for sure. I just wanted to mention, in addition to the incredible work you do as a storyteller, it also sounds to me like you are a researcher. You have to do a lot of research and really keep yourself abreast of what's going on, what happened in the past, what's going on today. How do you manage your time between the preparation and then the actual delivery of the story? Uh, oh, the research is huge. And I, I always find it quite funny. When says, tell us a story. Tell us a story. Um, but I think people don't realize actually how much work goes into creating it. So with Blood and Gold, for example, it was weeks and weeks and maybe a few months of work. Um, um, and, and it's important to do that because um, it depends on the story as well. If you're dealing with real things, if you're dealing with, with fact. Um, I, I told a story about David Livingston once, for example, and I knew that I had to make sure, even though it was a fictional account, it was told from the perspective of Susie and Chuma, who were his African um, servants. I told it from their perspective, but I needed to make sure that things stood up because I know there's someone out there who knows a lot more about David Livingston than me, and if I get something wrong, it's not going to ring true um, and then it will reflect poorly on on me and and uh, because if you can enter into a story and you can hold the audience in this suspended belief sort of thing then uh, then that's how you that's how you can begin to make changes but if the audience member comes saying ah nah I don't believe that at all then that's where you that's where your that's where your error has been made and the thing is is that you can tell a story about being swallowed by an elephant and people will still utterly feel themselves in that world um, because you're describing you know the slipping down the throat and the dark and the dank and the moisture and the fear that somebody felt so you can make people believe that they are in another world but then if you throw something else in that kind of knocks them out of that uh, that dreamlike state then then you've lost them and then they think well wait a minute actually that's that's not possible that can't happen and it's not about the the fictitious state that you're in it's about that fictitious state has to be absolutely fictitious it has to be absolute in um in its presentation because if you have something that just doesn't feel right then it kind of knocks everything else out of out of space so the research is hugely important um and then also it's about what what is your intention of telling it um and and understanding that what you might intend whatever message it is that you want to deliver that's not going to necessarily be the message that falls um on the audience's ears because i might tell i might have my intention is i want to explore issues of colonialism and slavery but i had one audience member um and she had lost her mother of cancer the year before so as soon as the mother died that was it that was all the story was about and she could see the mother and her relationship with her mother in different parts of the story so um so if that was what she took from it then you know absolutely that that's her story um, but for somebody else it might be completely different the different the three different stories that come flying out of the box they land on people very differently one of them is about you know it's a racist murder that happens here in scotland scotland doesn't suffer from racism apparently but we do but it's you know a story like that affected somebody else um there's a second 
American story that was based loosely on a Nigerian folktale. Um, but that was more exploring, uh, you know, a shadow who comes and steals this woman from the human world and takes her back to the world of darkness. Um, and a lot of people, it, that resonated with them because of this, you know, they were being taken from their land. So whether that was a refugee, whether that was an asylum seeker, that whether that was somebody who, um, like an African-American, who had that experience of being removed from their world, forcibly taken to live in another place, and then being unable to get back to their homeland because they'd been away for so long. So it's issues of, of uh, you know, home and belonging and, and who am I and, and where 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 is home for me? So stories will land very, very differently on different in different people's ears. And it's about sort of taking that um, understanding. And when you're doing your research and you're crafting the story, very, very much being being aware of that very, very much. Thank you for sharing that and, and letting our audience know that there is so much work that you put into it. It's not just your passion, and your craft, but you actually have to take the time because people could call you out on it and say, hey, that's not right. I was there or I knew someone who was there. So bravo, you're doing a fabulous job. Yeah, M Mara, as we come to the end of, of this show today, um, for me, I think you've inspired a lot of people who might be in their male logic brain to listen differently because we're very much about listening differently on this uh, station. Um, and also perhaps even inspired some children to to start wanting to do more and 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 follow your footsteps. And I think you're an amazing role model, and I can't wait. We can't wait to have more of you around and especially for us to talk more about World Jenny's Day because I think your, your influence and your impact is profound. So thank you for coming today. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. And um, yeah, I look forward to, to chatting more and, and, and also sharing sharing some stories with you as well. <laughs> I look forward that to that would as be well. Wonderful. Would you please let our audience know we have your banner up, but for people who can't read the banner or they're on the radio, what's the best way to reach out to you and who would you like to contact you? Um, yeah, so the best way, I've got my website, which is marathestoryteller.com, um, but I also get messages on, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. It's The hashtag is at marastoryteller. Um, and I tend to update what I'm what I'm doing there as well so there's a uh, information floating floating around on facebook it's mara the storyteller um but yes i'm generally quite quite easy to find and it's really lovely to hear um people when they come and they tell me their stories and they say oh you know this inspired me or that inspired me um i can share a, do i have time for a, a little one minute story perhaps i think I will. I'll tell you. I'll tell you a little story. Anyway, this is from Sierra Leone, from a friend of mine, Usifujalo, the cowfoot prince, and his. He told a story that I feel kind of sums up what storytelling can do and what stories can do. There were two friends, frog and rabbit, and they were walking through a forest when, and they were so engrossed in each other's conversation that they did not see a big hole at the side of the road. And frog, he fell in, and he hopped and he hopped and he hopped and he hopped, but he couldn't get out. So his friend rabbit went to get help. And he arrived a little while later, dragging a huge ladder behind him when he saw Frog sitting on the road. And he said, hey, what's going on? And Frog said, when you left, a snake fell into that hole. I had to get out. 
So that's that's the story. But it made me think about how, you know, when we're in a difficult situation, we keep doing the same thing. We hop, we hop, we hop, we hop, but nothing is going to change. We have to start doing things differently. And when a bigger problem comes, if we haven't figured out how to look for the footholds, how to search for the vines, how to figure out another way of getting out of that hole, then all hope is lost. But stories are the things that actually give us those tools to help dig ourselves or pull ourselves out of difficult situations. So there's a tiny little story to, to, finish, to finish the session on. I love it. That's so true. How many times do we hear someone else's story and it gives us inspiration or hope, or maybe it causes us to take a step back and rethink what we're doing. So being a great storyteller, an expert storyteller is in so much need across this world. So thank you for everything that you're doing in telling the stories and taking the message across the universe. It's fabulous. And we'll look forward to having you back again on this show or any other show that we have here. We've got 29 shows as of today. And so we'll look forward to speaking with you about World Jenny's Day. I'm excited about that too. Thank you, Mara. We'll see you again soon. That would be wonderful. I'm looking, really looking forward to that one. Thank you again. Take care of yourself. Bye. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. You know, I have to say the fact that you were over on Clubhouse, I know you shared your feelings about it. you met some amazing people. I mean, she's incredible. And had you not been there, maybe not, you wouldn't have met her. We wouldn't have just had this wonderful opportunity. So thank you. Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's where a Clubhouse has been, um a big mishmash for me it it taught me to go okay i may not want to step out in that forum with my work but it gave me an opportunity to listen to hundreds of other people and their work and and it created a huge networking ability that was more heartfelt than a whatsapp group that's networking because uh, you really get to know the people and you get to know their voices and you get to know their sincerity. So uh, as much as I, I didn't enjoy doing my work on there, I really enjoyed listening to other people's. And, and Mara's a prime example of that. Thank you so much, Jeanette. I couldn't agree with you more. Would you please share your information? How can people reach out to you and who should contact you? And we're excited for people to join for World Jenny's Day. What do they have to do to get involved? Thank you. Yes. Well, um, anybody who'd like to either be part of it behind the scenes, we, we are looking for moderators on the day. We're, we're doing theatre and the arts, so we'll have performers of all types and variations performing throughout the 17 hours. We're starting at 10 o'clock in the morning, uh, UK time, and we're finishing at 10 o'clock in the evening uh, on Eastern time, ED time, EDT. And um, that's because it's on the 10th of the 10th. So we've got 10, 10, 10, 10 happening on that day. And uh, if you would like to be behind the scenes and help, we would we would love to have your expertise and your your guidance where it's needed, your support. That would be wonderful. Uh, if you are a performer of any type, so you could be a singer, part of a band, a choir, a comedian, a ventriloquist, um, whatever it is, uh, even a mime. 
um, come forward. We've got on the worldjennysday.com um, website. If you go to uh, the 2022 lineup, there is a, a form for you to apply or, or to just get in contact with us so that we can chat with you and see what it is that you best would like to do. And what we're looking at is going around the world because this year it's called Where in the World is World Jenny's Day? And so we'll have people performing from Australia. In fact, uh, I've just been talking to one of Jenny's school friends from here in, in Kenya. They went to the band of school together and she's now been living for the last uh, 13 years in, in Australia, in Melbourne, and she's become an, a phenomenal singer. So we've got Australia on the move now with Anita and what an amazing connection that she was Jenny's friend. So we've got Australia coming in. We've got New Zealand. We're busy putting that together. Um, but we would like to get representation from as many countries around the world and move around the world in those 17 hours. And of course, Kenya is on that list without a doubt, it it has to be there. And, and any other country in Africa that would like to step forward, we would love to have you there. So let's see where this takes us because it's a piece of art in the making. I, I see it as a piece of sculpture the day um, and uh, or liken it to a piece of sculpture. See how, as we put it together, what it forms. And I think that was the success of World Jenny's Day on Clubhouse last year, where we did it over 24 hours. So that we went through with different moderators throughout the day and people stepped forward. And uh, it's still talked about, still talked about to, you know, nearly a year later. So please do come forward, um, fill in that form, introduce yourself, and we look forward to having a conversation with you. Thank you so much, Janetta. I appreciate it. And I look forward to seeing you in a couple of hours for global yes. events. <laughs> with Neil, Neil, my son. Yes, that'll be wonderful. Yes. Super It's exciting. our first episode. It's a, we're introducing a new program, and that's always got such a special energy to it. So I'm looking forward to it as well. Oh, There's we an airplane taking off. <laughs> That's an adventure in and of itself. So, uh, but so for now, Jeanette and I are signing off and I will be back shortly with the United Kingdom news and culture and our expert correspondents. And we'll see you back here then. Please go over to our YouTube channel, which is USA Global TV and radio and hit subscribe. We really appreciate it. And our newsletter is coming out at 11 a.m. Eastern time. So if you're not on the newsletter list and you'd like to be, please go over to usaglobaltv.com and you can subscribe as soon as you get there. All right, that's all for now. Thanks so much. Bye, everyone.